Hello and welcome to Cinema Spectator, a show where an expert and a casual movie fan watch movies in the cinematic canon. Today's film, we watch Double Indemnity, directed, directed by Billy Wilder, starring Fred McMurray and Barbara Stanwyck. My name is Cameron Tuttle, and I'm joined with Isaac Ransom. Isaac, how are you doing? How was uh, your break and recording with Juzo? I did listen to the podcast, by the way. Good. Yeah, it was... Um... It was good. We had a good conversation around the film that he chose. I'm glad we're out of French February. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was it was an interesting choice. I think I was maybe a little hard on the film, and I, I was glad that he brought a different perspective. And we had an interesting conversation that last episode just talking about, like, I guess kind of the the viewer experience and what, like, actually hooks you in. Because there, there are moments where movies are kind of stalling and then they really draw you in. And so we barely touch on that. I'm sure that's something we're going to talk about more in the future, but uh, just thank you, Juzo for coming on the show. That was a huge help for Cameron and I. We both kind of took a week off um, just separately. And hopefully as a listener, it was still a good experience overall, but I'm glad to be back. Uh, I, I, you know, you, you read the cast of this, this, um, this movie and like, it doesn't make any sense just because I don't know anything about old famous people, but I thought like Barbara Streisand was in this movie no. because like I read it wrong. <laughs> I guess it's just my dyslexic nature or something like that. But when the movie started, I was like, so wait, where's Barbara Streisand? I can't quite figure it out yet. And then I pretty much halfway through, I was like, okay, I don't think she's in this. And I think this movie is a little old for her too. Like I was straight Definitely. up looking up, I was looking up her age and I was like, I don't think this adds up. She would be like, <laughs> Like, like four a, or something ne- negative four or something no i don't know yeah but yeah 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 barbara samwick it, it's kind of funny because um streisand obviously had a kind of a role in the 70s as um, not so much a femme fatale i guess but uh she had a, she played a similar similar role as um maybe some of the the female actresses that we'll talk about uh in the future in this these upcoming weeks so that'll be fun um yeah i had a great little rest i i did you not know where i was going actually i didn't know till uh, we were texting about something you said you're up in tahoe or something like that yeah 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 um yeah i was up in tahoe um just having a good time it was it was a relaxing little trip um there was there was snow lots of it uh it snowed while we were there but yeah overall it was it was pretty good it was Nice and restful, which is. But what I just needed. just for context, because I was talking to Juzo about your New Mexico trip in high school. Do you remember <laughs> talking to me about that? Yeah, I was. I was probably. I. I was. Well, so the what I was doing in New Mexico, I was not selling drugs. Obviously, <laughs> I was. Uh, I was backpacking for two weeks, um, and I didn't have a phone because um, obviously there wasn't service. I don't know why I was so uptight about it. Back I don't then. know. I think. My, I, I think I probably strange. just. I. I wanted to trick you. You know, <laughs> well, it worked. It worked, and I hold this grudge against you today. <laughs> but now, whenever you say you're going on vacation, I'm like, better not be New Mexico, not again. <laughs> um, how are you? How was uh, how was your little break? It was fine. I I don't even remember what why I had to take a break. I think it was something like I was just overloaded with work that yeah. week, so it wasn't much of a break, but. I, I mean, I had confidence that you and Juzo would cover it great, and I appreciate him stepping in to help out. Juzo is a good voice in discussing film and stuff. He brings a different perspective. Um, I know that I talked to Tim about the last few episodes, and he enjoyed them. So 
yeah, yeah. overall overall was really good um but i just had to catch up on some stuff there was like this project i had to do at work that was uh dabbling in animation i've never done anything animated related mm, um, yeah that's and, that's hard <laughs> yeah so it really it really snuck up on me uh the amount of crunch i had to do that week was crazy um but it was like basically animating like this hand drawn like whiteboard explanation thing but i became pretty meticulous in it and like making the hand like really follow like every edge and i actually got to work with this um like animator who worked for nickelodeon for a while he had his own show um but he did just rough sketches for this um this like church video project thing and so it was cool to see his perspective and kind of um like when I told him I was like two weeks in advance, I was like, Hey, I need these drawings. And he was like, I'm just going to let you know, man, like you're behind. And I was like, well, <laughs> what do I, what do I, what, what can I do? Like, you know, I just, I got other stuff to do in my job. I'm not an animator, but he was so right. Um, so yeah, again, just appreciate Juzo and him helping out and all that stuff. Cameron, what have you been watching lately? Um, yeah, well, I've just been catching up on old TV shows, honestly. Um, I've been rewatching Better Call Saul, um, and so I, I'm on the third season of that. Uh, I, I finished Breaking Bad a little while ago, and then I, I decided to catch back up on Better Call Saul. I also hadn't seen the fourth season, so I'm, I'm kind of gearing up for that. And hopefully hopefully the fifth season drops on Net- Netflix soon. But um, And then me and Kiana have been watching House of Cards, which has been... Uh, fun i i the first three seasons are just really excellent and everything after that is terrible it's so bad so i'm i'm excited to see like where it kind of falls off um but yeah i mean genuinely the first three episodes or the first three uh seasons are so so good so yeah i haven't been watching too much i was telling juzo that i i have been watching wandavision i haven't watched the latest episode at the time we're airing this but it's been entertaining, um, and I finished the Dark Knight trilogy with Glenn. We watched The Dark Knight Rises, which I just think that movie is so silly fun. Like, I don't know <laughs> what it is. Like, it's just, it really doesn't make sense most of the time, and when Bane speaks, it's comical to me, but I love it. I don't know. Like, it's just one of those movies that just got charmed for me. I'm not sure why. And it looks gorgeous, dude. The movie is gorgeous looking, so. It's so funny because I think that's that's exactly Juzo's argument. And he says, he's like, I've seen that movie more than than basically any other uh, of the Batman movies. And it's basically because it's, it's so fun. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, there's no other reasons. It's pretty stupid. Um, but... I still enjoyed it. I still thought it was good. And it's not the it's not a terrible movie. It's it's by by all means like a very good movie. Is it, it better than has, Tenet? What do you think? I think so. Cause to me, Tenet was more confusing. At least this movie was more like like you could kind of follow the plot even if you weren't fully there. And yeah. if you're like super deep into the trilogy, like there's a lot of cool callbacks um as a finale film. It doesn't feel like grandiose in the way that an Avengers ending trilogy would be right. But it, it has this extremely weird spin for a superhero movie where it's like just domestic terrorism. Like it's like such yeah, a, it's like true, yeah. uh, early tens, 2010 kind of movie, you know, where like, I don't know, everything was just in that like call of duty, modern combat style. And 
<laughs> it's just weird. It is. It's a weird mix of stuff. So it is. It is a weird, weird movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Anyways, I can't remember what else I've been watching. My uh, my girlfriend's been watching this TV show called Shit's Creek, and yeah. it's just like uncomfortably funny. Is the best way of putting it. It's um, it's funny. I I enjoy it. Yeah. But it's it's enjoyable. So we've been watching that here and there, and I can't think if we've really been watching any other movies that stand out to me i mean most of the time like the movie i watch a week um relates to this podcast although i did watch empire with glenn and by the time you're hearing this the commentary track is live for our patreons um still unsure if i'm going to post that to live feeds it is not a full commentary track through the entire movie probably because we started recording at like 10 30 um and that was just a little late but I I think you'll find like if you don't like commentary tracks like it's a pretty packed episode like we don't really stop talking it's basically just a bonus podcast is kind of how it comes across um, mm-hmm. just I would recommend listening to it with a little bit of movie audio because we post both one with movie audio one without and Glenn is basically just breaking apart um, the score so if you're interested in that that is February's commentary track. Uh, you can check that out at patreon.com slash ECFS productions just for a dollar. Get access to all our commentary tracks. And yes, we ship them with movie audio and no movie audio. I guess just because that kind of worked as a segue, um, you can also give us a rating on iTunes. If you want to support us, you don't have a few dollars. Tell friends and family. That's how the show grows. Uh, I don't know, Cameron, anything else you want to add in terms of where the podcast is going or anything like that? Yeah, well, um, this month, I mean, I guess we'll we'll just get right into it. This month is uh, is going to be centered around Billy Wilder um, for no other reason than I uh, wanted to. So, um, yeah, that's that's what this month is going to be. There's five weeks too, so we can we can kind of do a little bit more of a deep dive. Um, and yeah, I, I I think personally, I really love Billy Wilder. I think he's a really interesting filmmaker, um, one that really shaped the landscape of American films. Um, shape the landscape of what you know, what a Hollywood blockbuster would be, what kind of a, a subversive comedy would be, um, what a noir film, as we're going to discuss uh, this week, would would be, and yeah, so I think I think he's a really important director um, and one that is often overlooked in in terms of you know favorites and uh, you know bests of an era and whatnot. So. Yeah, so that's what this month is going to be about. We'll announce the commentary track, but I think I have a pretty good idea of what it's going to be. Um, and as for the vote, I think there could be some interesting ones, um, maybe some sleeper hits. I've seen like a lot of Billy Wilder's movies, so I kind of have a have a general picture of what we're going to do this month. But um, yeah, it would be interesting to throw in ones that I haven't that I haven't seen or haven't seen fully. So. Um, yeah, any thoughts about that? We have watched a Wilder movie before, and you did like it, so. I don't even remember what it was. Honestly, I was like, I don't even know who Billy Wilder is, and I'm watching Yeah, this. it was Sunset Boulevard. Oh, you know, that was the movie I was thinking of the whole time. So, yeah, exactly. I guess that makes sense. Um, yeah. I actually, yeah, I really enjoyed that movie, and we'll probably talk about that film a lot as we discuss this one as well, because that was the main, I guess sort of feeling in terms of structure uh, that, that this one related to. And obviously I think people know Sunset Boulevard more than uh, this, this film that we're talking about. But uh, Sort of. Yeah. Um, 
I think I think it's important, I guess, to qualify that this movie is a bit earlier than so it, it came out in forty four, which is six years or earlier than Sunset Boulevard. Um, it's similar in his style, like he Wilder. This is like his third feature, although he wrote a bunch um, in the thirties as well. Um, he worked with, a lot with um, Ernst Lubitsch and uh, you know a bunch of other directors that were at the time, but um, really he was. He was more. It, he started to become a, a writer director in the thir- in the forties, right? Um, and this was his his big breakout movie. Basically, uh, it's not his first feature, but it's definitely one of his most. It's definitely his most well renowned in his like early time period. Um, and then after Sunset Boulevard, he had just a run of movies that were like big hits in the 60s um, and then kind of got shafted in in the, after the 60s by Hollywood um, and very disillusioned. So, um, yeah, he's he's an interesting guy. I'd, I'd like to talk more about him. But um, with introducing this movie, um, it's important to note that this is. Well, obviously, this was filming during during World War Two, um, as well as this was a a noir film, and it was one of the. It wasn't one of the first, but it was really one of the pioneers of noir. So when you're talking about a film, it, when you're talking about like general audiences, sure, maybe Sunset Boulevard might be a little bit more famous, especially that last sequence. People have seen it. Um, but when you're talking specifically about noir films, this is like one of the ones that people go to, one of the ones that people think of. Um, and it'll be funny because we'll, we'll probably talk about some tropes and some um, interesting things that this movie does. Um, but it was really like the pioneer of those tropes, essentially. So um, important thing to think about as we're, as we're talking about this discussion. But yes. Um, yeah, I would say Sunset Boulevard is probably more famous. I think probably the name alone, right? I'm pretty casual yeah. when when hear like hearing about some of these movies, and it kind of scratched something inside my brain where I was like, I, maybe I've heard of this. It sounds like a a movie with bad audio, you know? Like that's what I always think of when <laughs> with old movies is like that like borderline peaking where people walk in because honestly honestly when you watch these old black and white films whenever someone's talking quietly with like a low voice there's like something like chicken noodle soup where it's like really warm and you're like boy like movies just don't have that kind of style but then as soon as they walk in they're like hey bobby you know it's like (laughs) oh my goodness like wow my ears you know like that's just i don't know that's well also also thinking about it though, um, this was only about ten years after the invention of film sound. So <laughs> yeah, so yeah. you know if you if you think about it that way, this I think this movie sounds pretty good. Um, then I don't know. I can I know what you mean in that there's like obviously a background noise and there's obviously some crunch when when you know it gets to the high ends but for the most part I think this movie does a pretty good job especially I think the score is really good too yeah I wouldn't say that it was like like taken away from the experience it was more of me just being an impatient or you know uh, <laughs> um less forgiving audience member I guess is maybe. Maybe the best way of putting it, I just, 
when when you hear old movies like this as as someone like myself that watches movies you're like i oh boy like <laughs> i don't know it's something about the sound that doesn't draw me in you know um but luckily uh the film did leave a pretty good impact cameron and i guess i can sort of just go into my thoughts about it now yeah let's do it i felt like this movie had a very slow start and it was pretty hard for me to get through at the beginning but the writing really comes forward towards the middle of the film. And as these characters are like slowly fleshed out and and shown throughout the movie, like this, this film like does a great job at setting up a plot that is familiar, maybe in the, in the modern view, but well executed just all around. Like there's some good, you know, dirty chunks of drama in there. So I watched this movie with my girlfriend who approaches films in, in a, in a different way than I do. Like for me, it's like, I'm trying to be convinced by it. And for her, she's not convinced and she doesn't want to be right. And so sitting next to her, she's like, I'm bored. I don't really want to watch this. Right. Halfway through the film, I'm like, okay, but are you sort of getting what's going on? Right. Like I'm, I'm trying to explain it to her and she's like, okay, like, this is kind of interesting. Okay, I can kind of get into this. And then it starts to move forward as you start to reveal these small little details. Now you're getting bought into the the crime that's taking place in the movie and this tension's building. And even the stylistic opening of, of how the movie's set up, you're confused as an audience member, but then you really start to lean in and be like, oh, I kind of see what's going on here. Like, like that's the end of the road for him and and he's really recalling what what went wrong and so you're kind of tense waiting to see like when is it going to snag like when they're when they're starting to be let off the hook a little bit you're like yeah but there's no way it's going to stay going that way and so i really got invested um it took about halfway for this movie to get fully like bought into it and i think that's its biggest weakness but overall you know besides maybe being a little bit familiar and i'm not surprised by the plot like it's really the the way the characters are set up and the drama surrounding them that makes this movie shine and so uh just as someone who's casually watching films doesn't know a lot about it i was surprised that it could catch me so late in its um runtime and i found myself enjoying it towards the end for sure so totally yeah i think you said a similar thing about um about uh, Sunset Boulevard as well, didn't you? Um, you said it kind of it was slow during the beginning, and then it, it sort of picked up during the during the back half. And honestly, I kind of think that's how that's a little bit how movies were paced um, more in this time period. Like, I don't, I don't think, I think that's very. I would say that's very common um, to find a movie where it's like, yeah, it's kind of slow going, uh, in the beginning. And then by the time it's, you know, it's at the end, you're like really hooked by it. I I find that to be really very common. Um, especially going back and looking at movies in, in thirties, forties, fifties, like that's totally like accurate. Yeah. So just to confirm, uh, sunset Boulevard was after this film, right? Yes. It was 1950. Yeah. So I think what really, differentiated Sunset Boulevard from this one is that there's this unordinary presentation. Um, and obviously like it's more of a refined work for Wilder. Right. Um, but there's like 
all the weird stuff with the house that mm-hmm. even if yeah. I was a little bored, right? I was I was constantly like, why is there a monkey in a coffin? Like, why is there yeah, all this yeah. exciting stuff that's happening that I don't really understand, but at least I'm kind of like interested. You know, I'm I have that hook. Whereas this film, the opening should have been the hook, but I was more I and probably a viewer issue. I was I was like, wait, what's happening again? Like, what is going on? You know, it doesn't it 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 begins and it's like, well, I'm an insurance guy and I do insurance. I'm like, okay, like whatever. <laughs> like I'm not quite sure what's what's is exactly happening as he's giving an account on like this audio memoir thing. Um, but as the movie continued, I was like, okay, I'm kind of seeing like where this is going, and then the good stuff starts to come out with it. Yeah, definitely. I I would say it's f- this is a fun. Well, I don't know. I I I think Sunset Boulevard has much more of the like atmosphere and the um the like intrigue behind the character and the house and whatever. I think you're I think you're totally right. Um although I think this movie is a little bit less um uh it's it's kind of a little bit more popcorny and schlocky um and probably by design, I would say. Um Especially, you know, considering film noir as a, I, I guess maybe I should, I should define what a film noir is, right? Would that be helpful? Yeah, let's do it. Um, it's kind of a difficult genre. It it oftentimes, um, you know, so the classically a noir was usually from probably about 1930 to 1948 was the was the type. It was the the sort of big classical era of of noir. And one of the defining characteristics, obviously, was was the style of it. So it was, you know, um, high key lighting, lots of shadows and bright, you know, window lights. You, you see it when when he first walks in the uh, in the house with Barbara Stanwyck, and and there's sort of the blinds that are shooting like lights on him. Um, so part of it is the style of it, um, and then another part is is always is usually there's. Um, some type of investigator or, um, you know, detective, or in this case, it's an insurance person. Um, but usually there's someone who's trying to either uncover a mystery or gets wrapped up in a crime because of a femme fatale. So usually the the big hook of this genre is that there's a, you know, a guy looking into something who's sort of um, either swindled or kind of swept off his feet from this femme fatale um, character. And and honestly, this was a big pi- this movie was a big pioneer in what the femme fatale um, would be and and sort of what it what it might what it might look like on screen or what it what it best looks like in on screen. Um, so is that a little more helpful or do you still feel like it's confusing it's a confusing genre it's hard to tell like it's hard to pin down exactly what is a noir but yeah i think i find like your technical notes on what is usually shown in a in a noir film to be sort of insightful i guess um because like just now i looked up what the best noir films were on google and I don't even know how some of these are considered noir films. I mean, The Dark Knight is on here. Like, is that what? <laughs> no. Like, I, I don't know. I understand how that is. But there are other films like, um, what was it? Blade Runner is on. Uh, yeah, Blade Runner would be a noir, technically. It would be like a neo-noir. 
Right. So what's the difference between like neo-noir and noir? What is that? Like, Well, neo-noir is like, um, it's modern basically, and it doesn't have to have some of the trappings. So, so like, yeah, the original Blade Runner would, would definitely count, um, specifically because like stylistically it's very similar and it and takes very much from original noirs and there's also you know uh he's kind of an investigator although in an unofficial capacity right (laughs) he's like looking for um or no i guess he he does have an official role he's looking for these um uh, sentient robots Yeah. yeah um and then there's there's also the femme fatale as well, um, so yeah it 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 has the it has the mainstays of of noir. Yeah, I think that's maybe more a modern choice, but it's interesting that it's in that futuristic um, setting. I think when I think of noir, I think of like the detective hats, the yeah. spotlight, and the rainy street, right? That kind of totally. that kind of style, and maybe a little bit of jazz too, which. I don't know if the score of this film has, does it have, it kind of has like big band, not, not big band, but orchestra, like just yeah, yeah, orchestral pieces, it, right? Yeah. It's, it's much more of like a classical forties, um, score. I, 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 now that I'm thinking about it, I'm not sure who the sort of jazz nor, I, I know that's definitely like a, a trope for sure. Um, you know, the walking into a bar and it, it's rainy and then the, you know, jazz or whatever. You know, yeah. That that's totally a trope in noir, but I'm not sure which film that would have come from. Um it's definitely not this one, but yeah. Yeah. Well that's cool. I mean, so you would consider this to be one of the major defining aspects of of what that genre is now today. Totally. Yeah. It's th- it's this movie, The Maltese Falcon, and those are like kind of the two big ones, honestly. Mm. Um, you almost don't need to talk about many others. There, there's some that are like on the edge of noir, but yeah, those two, the, this movie and the Maltese Falcon, I would say the third man is kind of on the edge. Um, but yeah. So how many times have you watched this movie, Cameron? Uh, this is my second time watching this movie. Um, I watched it in class the first time I took a whole class on Billy Wilder. So that's why, uh, we can get deep into it if, if we want to, but yeah, so I mean, for me, I found the the beginning hook very interesting as a a little bit of a so you know it, when you're following someone who's investigating something or you're you're following a detective, a lot of times obviously you have the you know you're introduced to the person and they go through and they find the clues and there's a there's a red herring or you know they they think that it's someone and then it's it's actually someone else um but at the beginning of this movie you know when you think that there's you're you're going to get the question you actually get the answer to the question um and what you watch throughout the entire movie is the question basically um, and I find that really interesting in terms of how the plot is set up. Now, obviously, that's become sort of a a classic movie trope, you know, sort of giving the giving the the twist away at the end and then actually having it be something else or giving the twist away at the beginning and having it be something else at the end. That's become sort of a main trope in these kinds of movies nowadays. But I would say that this movie, as a pioneer of that, is really, really effective. You know, there's there's not even a whole lot of misdirection. You know, you don't even get the 
the sort of major t- twist being something different at the end. Really, the major twist in the climax. And I guess are we spoiling it? Is that? Fine? I mean, it's a little. It's a little bit of an old film, so sure. Yeah, I guess. It, you know, I guess. Um, although I would re- recommend watching it. Also, it doesn't really matter. Like, yeah. it's it's you're not going to spoil it that much. Um, but you know, the really the twist in the end is that she's just she's been doing this like all of her time essentially you know the the moment for me that is kind of always the the big reveal is when he's talking to the daughter um and she says she she basically tells the whole story of how her mom died um right and and i find that so interesting because it really as a twist it's not that important right it doesn't change the the trajectory of the characters at all but as a as a dramatic character piece and as sort of if we're thinking about her as the the villain or the antagonist of this story it really puts all of her actions into a new light Um, and it's very very interesting how that reflects back on the rest of the movie i would say um so for me, you know, I, I I think you're you're right in saying that like the drama and the characters are really what are strong in this movie, and and really kind of what what make you hooked into into the film. It's not really the story; um, it's really much more the the drama and what what goes on between the characters. Yeah, so let's. I think we should talk a little bit about each character and sort of how they stand out uh, on their own and how they like, like kind of weave through the plot. And I guess we can start with Walter Neff as the narrator. He really is sort of flat, but like, yeah, it's it's interesting. Like he's just giving his perspective and account of it, but he doesn't have a lot of. Uh, charisma around him I guess I just I don't know like I wasn't overly convinced by his romance um, and I think that was probably just the times like where he's like shut up baby shut up baby kiss me you know I'm like all right come on you know but uh he he he's a great narrator in in showing sort of like how he was feeling and what they were doing and things like that um, and he serves more as like a a plot devi- device right mm-hmm. yeah um and then you know you look at uh, Phyllis, what's her name? Dickerson or something? Dietrichson. Dietrichson. Yeah. Um, she is sort of the mysterious figure in the movie where you're like, I can't, I'm not a hundred percent sure like what angle she's playing all the time. Right. And at first you're, you're just convinced that she's, she has a bad life. And so she's like, I just want to, uh, get rid of my husband which is like oh okay that's weird you know and <laughs> yeah. and even her first like there's like this small crack in the glass when when she first kind of slowly puts that idea up to ponder with uh neff right and so like you're you're a little worried but she can kind of mask that her unhinged nature with i guess her being like a sob story or a sad person. She's a little manipulative. And as the, as the strings are, are slowly tied off with the crime and, and uh, keys is beginning to, to, to kind of put the pieces together. Right. 
you start to see her become more and more like like a maniac a little bit and yeah that's a fun uh thing to watch as a viewer i guess as like you're it's like you are starting to figure out really like who she is and that's more entertaining because you already know what happened. You don't care about keys finding out what happened because you already know what happened, right? Instead, you're more interested in like um, the characters or or yeah, specifically her character, like like seeing her true colors, right? If that makes sense. Um, But actually my favorite character was uh, keys. The, the detective, he is just so fun and he's got, he's the one that had like the most character, in the or the charisma in in the movie, the fact that he can never find like a light for his cigarette is like such a f- uh, a, a fun interaction between him and Nev, and it 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 brings their friendship to like a deeper level just through like a small action. Like you you're really convinced by that, and um, he's got a lot of of um, just it, it's it's weird. I think like when you think about these. Um, like crime movies where something bad happens and it's, it's like, it's opposite to this. Like usually the, I guess the good character is, um, I I don't know how to put it. It's like the good character is put set, uh, center stage and they're scrambling to figure out what happened is like the heart of it. Right. Where this film, it's almost like, Keys is the villain, but he's the good guy. Does that make sense? Like in terms of like a yeah, structural totally. yeah, yeah. level. He's the antagonist, but he's actually doing the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. And and he but you like him for that, right? Like totally. you like him yeah. for that where whereas like I've seen films before where the antagonist is entertaining to watch, but you never really get behind him, but you could see where he's coming from, right? Like some some great like superhero villains like the Joker and things like that. Like you're you're totally bought into their kind of wild uh, structure as a character, right? Keys plays that role, but as a good guy, you know, like it's, it's, I, I mean, maybe you can compare it to like someone like, I, I don't know. Like I, I, cause I'm trying to think of like technically good characters that are up against like bad. And I don't know why I'm like, I'm thinking about pirates of the Caribbean, right? Cause they're pirates. Like pirates are bad and the good guys should be good, but they're not sympathetic. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, totally. The British are just terrible people. They're just as bad as the pirates, right? What's and, the, what's the guy's name? The, um, the British like commander or whatever. Um, oh, I don't like really. hate. Yeah. That guy. <laughs> I love that guy's performance in dead man's chest. The second movie mm-hmm, where yeah. he's like just the drunken, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Failed he's the captain. washed up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's always fun. But you know, like it's, it's interesting to see a, um antagonists that you root for because they're actually good like i don't know it's i can't really think of another movie that does that and i I found that really fun as a way to like you know sort of put your characters together i guess Um, yeah i didn't i i don't know cameron can you think of another movie that's like that i'm really sort of pressed to to think of one yeah i'm trying to think um maybe I don't know. I'd have to think about it. It would definitely have to be like like where your your main characters are criminals, obviously, and the yeah. the person who's trying to, you know, is is the detective or whatever else. Yeah, but usually they make them kind of very unlikable. Right, is, right. Is usually what it is. But um, I think it's a great idea, like for people making movies about 
bad people that are because you know like we've seen so many anti-heroes right and that's always that's always been hot like because you know they're doing the thing that nobody's supposed to do but somehow there's an ounce of humanity in them that you can like get behind and that whole moral relativism is exciting as a watcher but like to see their antagonist be just as sympathetic or likable you know i i love that idea i love the idea of like seeing that kind of pan out and maybe even like a modern approach of like having this good friendship and and see the drama flesh out more like i was like i'm yeah. totally attracted to that structure totally and i i think what's really interesting about that interaction is that they they really are genuine friends and you kind of get that um or at least at the very least gen genuine like they like each other and they look out for each other you know in their in their normal lives and and so to see that kind of crumble with this with this really toxic love angle um it's actually kind of affecting when you know when you see later on that he you know uh uh keys has the you know he calls off the dogs basically on on Neff's character at one point he and uh Neff goes into his office remember and he's he says like he listens to the tape essentially about how keys is totally, you know, an upstanding guy and blah, blah, blah. And then eventually, you know, you see him put it together more and more. And by the end, keys is like totally facing his betrayal essentially, you know? And that's, that's what makes the, the sort of last shot where he's dying on the steps and keys gives him the, the match. That's what makes it so, so effective. You know, it's, Oh like, dude, that's like the best, the best awesome. way to tie the and then when the movie ended i was like thank goodness they ended it because that's like the best way to end it you know totally. like there's no other way that you needed to do it so totally and it's so it's so like perfect too it's like such a it's a perfect way to end that story and it's also you know the the conclusion between between the love angle like that that was already finished by the time you know the end of the story came or the beginning of the movie came around essentially um you know you see her you, you know she sh she shoots him and then she runs and uh and she says i oh i couldn't shoot you a second time that means i'm really in love and you know and it's like it's like okay yeah and then she she does get what she deserves she you know neff neff kills her that's like um, what but like as a viewer that was a moment where i was like no like just shoot her and then he does and i was like oh snap he shot her you know like yeah that's so, exactly like that's that was like one of those moments that like that the conclusion of this film pays off if you're able to sit through the beginning and i think that's why i'm more positive on it because if i had given up which you know i wasn't going to obviously like i was going to finish it all the way through but like people do kind of turn movies off after a while you know like this movie does have the good stuff at the end right um so yeah overall like i thought the conclusion was super satisfying when you're bought in for, for the beginning or for um, at least halfway. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And one other thing that I would like to mention too, is this movie came out not only in the middle of world war two, right. Which was kind of a big deal. It's really hard to make a movie um, during a war like this. It was, they made obviously some incredible, incredible movies during this time, but also like I can imagine it would be really difficult um, to do, but 
they and also you know one thing to mention about that it's not entirely related but i think it's important is billy wilder actually um he he was he was from austria um and he uh fled the country in 1933 when hitler came to power so he was sort of directly affected during this time and you know it was he he goes on to make a couple movies about world war ii um that are very interesting in terms of their take but they're not they're not super serious and he was he wanted to to direct um schindler's list actually um but he he didn't he didn't end up getting the chance to but um yeah i mean in any case that's that's not super relevant but um well i'd like to hear more about wilder but i think we should finish up our thoughts kind of on the rest of the movie, I don't know how much more there's to talk about in terms of production. I just want to tie a bow on the characters because I think uh, Mr. Ditcherson, if, I don't know, I don't know how to say his name, uh, and um, I think Nino, Nino as well. Like they they serve uh, their their roles as like two, uh, what is it, two note characters? Like just not they're just supporting roles, but they they kind of like are full of life and to give those side characters that much energy is I think one of the things that makes dramas, you know, they're believable, they're exciting, they're, um, they're fun to watch on screen and they don't overstay their welcome. And then I think, uh, Lola is kind of that wild card or the MacGuffin in, in the structure of it. And the only reason I'm really going in depth on the characters is because I don't really think there's anything else about this movie. I mean, maybe you could talk about like set design, but the plot is, is, exciting because of the drama of the characters because the yeah, characters yeah, are are, are 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 executed so well cameron what do you think of of lola i think she just serves as like that final reveal i didn't really find her too interesting till that moment but i don't know yeah yeah i think lola is interesting because she i i think in a longer movie she probably would have been more fleshed out although i'm glad that she wasn't in some ways um I think for me, she, she is totally the, the opposite, like archetypally from Phyllis, right? So she is sort of the young, uh, very sincere, very innocent, um, version of sort of the beautiful Phyllis essentially. And, and I think she's important as a character in that role, right? She's, while she's not like, She's not super well fleshed out. She's important as the the sort of foil for um, for the femme fatale, I would say. So I think she plays it really well, and I, I think the the end reveal is really where she she steps up to be very important as a character. Um, yeah, I yeah I think that pretty much ties up all the characters, but they they do they do deserve the spotlight in this movie because totally. they they carry it forward. And they let the drama sink in in a in a powerful way. Cameron, do you want to talk about anything production wise or any notes? I know we want to kind of get into Wilder. I want to hear a little bit of background on who Billy Wilder is. I know you were talking about where's kind of where he came from and whatnot, but if you have any more on that, yeah, let's talk um, about the movie first. Well, yeah, I would. I want to say just just um, you know this this movie was made uh during the Hayes code which was kind of an important force on um noir films especially but 
you know, especially Wilder's career, I would say. He was one who was pioneering sort of the edge of what, what the Hayes Code would allow. Um, he was really one to to push the boundaries in that Dude, way. those ankles, you know? Well, those ankles. As we'll, as we'll see in some of his other movies, he, he has some pretty... Um, <laughs> some pretty racy ideas, I would say. Some pretty, pretty interesting, uh, interesting ways that he goes about, like slipping things in, I guess. Um, and and for me, you know about the Hayes Code, right? Yeah, you mentioned it before, but I guess for the listeners who maybe don't remember, do you want to give like a quick overview? Yeah, so the Hayes Code was basically like the MPAA. Um, you know, they they rate movies now. Um, but essentially, it was. It was a very restrictive, um, a, a very restrictive version of the MPAA. So it was either approved or not approved. And if you weren't approved, you wouldn't be able to get wide released in theaters. So um, you know, for approved movies, you had to do. Um, th- there was a bunch of. There's basically a big list of things you had you you couldn't show. Um, you know, like for example, I have a. a brought up here but for example illegal traffic and drugs um any inference of sex perversion uh you know so there's there's like things things that are um that are no's essentially um swearing obviously um and licentious or suggestive nudity um you know things like that so it was a very it was it was a restrictive code around uh, what was allowed in to be shown in movies and part of it obviously was a voluntary this was a voluntary system but it was also brought upon um through you know risk of censorship by the government and risk of and lobbying through different organizations so um the code was very important in this time because it was really what was guiding i you know it's a lot more um it's a lot more involved than some of the 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 you know ratings board is right now, right? You know, you can't show you can't show bad guys getting away with bad things was one of the the code, you know, elements. You can't show, you know, if if there's a the a criminal element in your uh, in your movie, they had to they had to get justice essentially. Um, and that was really important to the noir, um, genre because how do you show a movie, um, and be surprising about where it's going to go if you know that the good guys are going to succeed in the end, essentially. Um, and so Wilder in, in this movie, what I find so interesting is he, he finds a way to get around that by telling you up front what's happening and allowing the bad guys or allowing the the good guys to succeed but also not making it necessarily satisfying that they do right he he gives it you know it's not this hurrah moment at the end of you know keys figuring it out and he he goes to the police and you know they arrest him it's no it's not at all it's totally a somber uh moment it's a it's it's a betrayal and it's also, you know, this, this deep friendship crumbling the, um, the, you know, the femme fatale, she gets her, her ending, you know, she, she gets stopped, she gets justice, but not because of, um, 
you know, because of the law, but because of her actions towards towards our, you know, the main character. So I find it a really interesting way of getting around some of these loopholes. And also, not to mention, there's like some, there's definitely innuendo in this movie. There's totally, um, you know, he says, he makes jokes the first time he comes, comes over to the house and uh, other things like that. There's totally... He's skirting the boundaries, I would say, Wilder is. Um, and I find it really interesting to analyze on that level as well as sort of the um, the character analysis, too, I think is really important. But um, Yeah, no, I uh, one of the things that really stuck with me in the film was how serious it took the act of the crime or even the morality of the crime uh, once it had been executed, right? He gets home to his apartment, right? Um, uh, and, you know, Walter Neff is talking about how it's like everything went right. You know, there was no calls. There was no, nobody knocked on the door. And then he has that, like, the moment where he's walking down the street and he's like, I just knew. Like, that That was the moment where I knew it wasn't going to go right, you know? And it was something sinking in. It was like this feeling, right? And... I just, I don't know, like, that moment was super serious. I don't I don't know, like, how it was executed in a way. But hearing about, like, Hayes Code and all that, right? Like, I don't know how this, this movie, like, isn't glorifying any sort of criminal action. Instead, it's, like, really diving deep and condemning it in a more powerful way if it, like, than if it was never shown. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think that's that's what's so effective and probably why the movie got passed i don't know how scrutinized it was at the time but um yeah though it's it's done really well yeah totally um yeah i mean i can give just a little bit of background um i guess honestly i kind of said what i wanted to say in this movie we'll go into more of his story along the way but yeah he was born in austria he um came over after after hitler's rise to power he was um um you know, he he kind of moved around a lot when he was younger. His father, I believe, um, either worked on the train line or he was he was sort of in in trains um, coming up. And so he he um, you know he lived in Vienna for a while. He lived in other other places. He lived in Germany. Um, and so he he was kind of a well traveled person. Um, and he was of um, of Jewish descent. So he, you know, obviously it was affecting him once, once Adolf Hitler came to power. So, um, so yeah, he came over. He, the other thing that I wanted to mention in this, that we'll get into more next week, I think is he always wrote with a partner. He never wrote by himself. And so, um, yeah, so he he had a long-standing relationship with Charles Brackett, who is his kind of main person that he he wrote with for the first half of his career. Although um, for this movie, he he actually wrote with Raymond Chandler, who he didn't really work with that much. But yeah, um, and then at the end of his career, he worked a lot with IAL Diamond, um, and those were kind of his two big people that he wrote with, essentially. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of it he um you know this was his big 
movie at the time. This is like him introducing himself as as a director. So I think it's so cool that I didn't realize that he was the director of Sunset Boulevard, right? Because I could already feel that similarity between the two films. And it's cool that he wrote them both too. Because yeah. the characters both shine in 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 both movies. So yeah, no. Um pretty impressed how it hooked me back in and sort of going off the conversation that I was having with Juzo last episode, like that, the, I don't know if this movie serves as a example of how the movie kind of hooked me because I wasn't hooked for a long time until the dirt of the drama was coming up and the characters were fleshed in a experience that was like convincing. You know what yeah. I mean? Like when it all starts to go down and they begin to like, um, I would say it's after the part where she shows up at his apartment with the hat. Like, he's like, you know what? I think I'm in it. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to plan this. Like, this was a part of my, like, this has kind of been tinkering into my head. He says those things about like thinking how you could do it better than the crooks. Cause you study the crooks. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, that's where I was like, Oh, this train's moving, you know, no pun intended. Right. Yeah. I was like, okay, yeah. like I'm, 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 uh, I'm in it, you know, and I'm, I'm feeling hooked and it's kind of like that. The, those cool moments in movies where they're doing the big setup and then for lack of a better term, like the heist or the, the big, totally. you know, operation goes down and yeah, like I think that's where the movie picks up steam and it didn't disappoint in the end. Like the writing came through super strong. All the boring parts that they're setting up at the beginning were still memorable halfway through and they, they came forward uh, louder than the beginning, right? Because you totally. see, you see, um, Walter light Keys's uh, cigarette like multiple times, and that happens at the beginning, but then it happens in the middle, and it happens at the end, and it happens at the end end. And for someone who's dumb like myself, I was like, I got it, you know, like yeah. I got it. They did. They, they were. They were. They they made that one thing stick out and continue to stick out throughout all of it. So. Totally. Yeah. And that honestly, that's just good writing too. You know, that's that's when you have something that sets up that you don't get at the beginning or you don't pay attention to at the beginning and it comes back in full force at the end. That's yep. that's good writing, you know. Yeah, and that's how that's how this movie shines. That's how Sunset Boulevard shines. I would I think you were totally right when you're saying like comparing the two. Um, there's something about Sunset Boulevard that has a aesthetic feeling or a style that is uh Interesting. I would say as just subjectively, I'm more drawn to that when I yeah. watch movies. I know that's maybe not what most people are drawn to. And I guess maybe that disqualifies me as speaking as the casual, but I find more interest in that than um, a slow start. But you could see how his career drove up to that moment, right? Um, I love that while there's a writer too i didn't totally. i didn't realize that they were together or he was together on on those two things so um awesome first choice i'm excited for the month now when did he stop making movies so his last movie was in uh, 1981 it was called buddy buddy and it was a complete flop it was just like an utter utter flop um people hated it but um i've actually never seen buddy buddy i saw his movie that he did before that in 78 called fedora um i thought that was good ish it was okay it was still it was very much a, a wilder movie but it was you could tell like he was i don't know i don't want to say he lost any talent necessarily but he he definitely wasn't working very much by the end of his career gotcha um, 
he had a he had a couple major flops in the '60s that pushed him out of Hollywood um, a lot. So mm. we'll 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 probably I'm I'm thinking about what we want to do for the vote because there's there's at least three movies that I want to hit for sure for sure, um, and the other ones will kind of be up to up to the the listeners. So um, I'm still pulling it together, but. Definitely, there's some options. There's some really great movies that we're not going to hit to um, in in this time period. You know, like Ace in the Hole is amazing. I love that movie. Um, so funny, such a funny movie. Um, I really liked A Foreign Affair, although I'm not sure we're going to be able to watch it. Um, maybe I'll put that in the uh, in the vote. But yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. I think if you're digging like Wilder Month make sure to listen to our sunset Boulevard episode too. Cause that was pretty Definitely. early on in this podcast. And I think that's an important film of his. I mean, just personally, like it's weird for me to watch an old movie and like it as a casual <laughs> viewer. And so I'm, I'm saying like my recommendation, go watch that one for sure. I think we should get into where we recommend this movie camera. We rate on a wax scale of for everyone, for casuals, for curious and for cinephiles. Where would you place it as the expert Cameron? Um, for me, it's definitely for someone who's, who's more curious than just for, for everybody, I guess. Um, I don't know. I, I think. Would you put it, it for, for the casuals? That's what it, that's where it would be. For you, the casuals? Yeah. I mean, well, like, okay. Like I said, our, our rating is a little weird, right? So if you're going to, if you're going to land it, you got to justify it. And I was going to put it right around the casual area. Right. Yeah. Because if you're casually into watching films and you're willing to give something like a crack or at least try it, right? I would say that this movie will satisfy you, I think. Is is kind of like how how I landed on it. Because I was unsatisfied at the beginning, but it still was able to come around. So I don't think it's for everyone. I don't and, and Juzo says that said this to me on the episode too. He's like, what movie is for everyone? You know, that's a good point, right? But sometimes it's easy to recommend something that could be like more universal. I think the reason I'm straying from giving it that rating is because of the the slow opening. Yeah. But yeah. once you're past that, once you're past that, and and you maybe you can get past your bias of watching a black and white movie, which I know for some reason, Cameron, that doesn't bother you at all. To me, I'm like, uh, I can't. I don't know what it is. Um, this movie will you you'll enjoy it. I think it's I think it's very good. I think I think holding it up to be sort of I don't know if you like if you like sort of interesting crime dramas like and you want to go back and you want to see like basically the original <laughs> interesting crime dr- yeah, drama yeah. like this is a great movie you know it's and it's only like an hour and 45 minutes it's totally not long it's totally not like that hard to get into there's not a lot of characters that you're you're like you know, uh, oh, who do I have to remember? It's they're all super straightforward, super easy to to understand, and it's just like it's just a good, it's a good time. You know, it's just a lot of fun. So yeah, I could see I could see someone getting hung up on the beginning because it's slow, but I think you're right. If that's what you're looking for, if that's where you're willing to explore, because there are a lot of people that like casually enjoy movies that are like I'm willing to watch something a little different, right? Or or get a little history. Like I think. This you don't even really need to be overly 
convinced or bought in or curious, right? Like that's yeah. where I'm like, I think this movie is good enough to stand its own. But I, I do agree with you. It's don't go in with like expectations out the window, you know, like it's, <laughs> it is, it is the groundwork for what a genre built around. Right. Yeah. So well, well, well said Cameron for sure. Yeah, totally. Should I uh, tell everybody what the commentary is going to be? Do it, dude. This is going to be such a fun one. We're going to watch Some Like It Hot, uh, starring Marilyn Manson. Mar- Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Manson. Jeez. <laughs> oh, my. Uh, starring Marilyn Monroe. Um, yeah, it's going to be so much fun. I love this movie. Um, it's a comedy. We'll see when we get there. You, you, you're going you're gonna to think it's funny, I think. But, uh, yeah. Okay, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to hanging out. I'm looking forward to getting back my mic stand, Cameron. I know, Give it yeah. Back. It, it's sitting on the floor over here. I have this huge one now. I can't just put it on the desk. I'm just like, come on, man. You know, I just, <laughs> this is heavy. This is heavy. I don't want this in here all the time. So, yeah, I think that pretty much wraps up our thoughts. Again, uh, if you're interested in the commentary track that we're going to be talking over this month, uh, if you like what we're doing here at Cinema Spectator, check us out, patreon.com slash ECFS Productions. You can get a bunch of benefits like voting on which Wilder movie we're going to be watching this month. Um, the paying audience gets the ability to do that. So if you're interested, again, patreon.com slash ECFS Productions. Be a part of that community. They are not a loud community, but they're a nice community. I'll put it that way. <laughs> Come on, Patreons. You can talk to us. That's what I'll say. You can talk to us. Darren. Darren, you can message us on Patreon. I bet you Darren's like, I just never remember my sign-in email. <laughs> he can't cancel his Patreon. He's like, oh, rats. <laughs> but um, yeah, we appreciate all you guys listening and the people that listen on free feeds as well. We post every Monday, so hopefully we'll have you join us again for another wilder discussion but until then we will see you uh then that was a horrible <laughs> ending i was like where i'll well, see you i don't see you you're we'll listening see, to, we'll see you'll you. listen to we'll us he- then we'll hear you um, i mean you'll hear us whenever you want i guess <laughs> <laughs> it's the future it's yours whenever you want it all right see you then <laughs> Cinema Spectator is an ECFS Productions podcast executive produced by Darren O'Neill. If you want your name read in the credits of the show, you can check us out at patreon.com slash ECFS Productions to achieve this status. Thank you, Darren, for the support. And for the rest of you, we appreciate your support as well. Have a good one.